Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back to the front three. On tonight's show, there are three people. They just don't happen to be uh, the original members. Uh, but that's fine because, you know, you can sub people and that's all right. In tonight's podcast, we have Chris Hennage. Chris, welcome. Work for Guns N' Roses. Yeah, well, yeah, you can be Slash if you want. Chris no, Slash. surely I'm the one that comes after. You know, the one that had the, what was it, a bucket of fried chicken on his head and a mask? Do you know the one I'm thinking of? No. I think you're thinking of Slipknot. My references are always so current. Yeah, so true. Um, and then, of course, the I'm trying to think of who's like a shit flavor flav. It's um, it's it's Nico. How you doing? Flavor flav, surely. Yeah, a shit flavor flav. Um, I, I'd rather be Axl Rose to to Chris's Guns and Rose reference, but yeah, but thank you, Lawrence. Appreciate that. Sure. Uh, you guys are so rock and roll. Uh, speaking of rock and roll, uh, West Ham rocked and then rolled. Spurs out of the title race tonight as Lanzini's strike uh, pretty much, what do you want to call it? Do you want, which, which journalistic phrase do you want? Derailed, um, discombobulated Spurs title run. Um, pretty straightforward, really, Chris. So, was it, so did, it, did it though? I don't know. Um, I mean, I, I mean that, that's what most people are saying. I mean, you know, uh, it's, it's, it, if Chelsea now win... On Monday, it's going to make it very difficult for Spurs to win the title. But, what, but was there a title? Was there a title race in the first place? Is, is the question? Yeah, when it gets to yeah. that, when it gets that close, then yeah, of course, there's a title race. I mean, 100%. just ask any Leicester fan. I don't the, think there was. No, there was there was a race. I, I, I think. Look, Chelsea could have won. Tottenham even could have won every game from now until the end of the season and still lost. Yeah. So I, I don't. I think that the the more important takeaway is is that. For, for Spurs, it's it's not the um, you know self implosion that people want to make out. They just weren't able to match a team that has been, I would say, not burdened by Europe at all this season. Also, has had the benefit of galvanising not just its team, but also gaining a really fresh perspective with its coach. I, I think the the long term projection for Spurs is positive because. Financially, and I tweeted as much before the game was done there, and I got a lot of fans 
six clubs coming back at me. They've spent relatively nothing compared to to those around them. Chris, they, talking, they really haven't invested. Talking about net spend. Not no, not even net spend. I mean, like individuals, as in, if you think 30, 32 million or whatever it is, that's their highest fee to to my knowledge for Soldado or Lamella or Sissoko. That's real chump change to the teams around them. If you think about it, you look at Pogba, De Bruyne, even Mesut Ozil cost more, I think, than than those Spurs players. So they're not spending in the same category as those around them, but but they're still sitting in second. And yes, I, th- I think their European performance has been shocking. It hasn't been good enough. That needs to switch up next year. I think part of it is because they don't have the depth at the minute. They can't bring in young players in the way I think they'd like at the minute. And and just the depth in general hasn't worked out. So the, there's ways they've got to improve, definitely. They've got to become better spenders in some avenues. But if you look at what has been on the table to work with, I think they've done quite well. Is it also partly though, Nico, and this might frustrate Spurs fans a little bit, is that Pochettino has been found that if he starts a game tactically with one idea and then that is negated very early on, sometimes it does look as if he struggles to change things up out on the pitch and get a plan out and in place which benefits the team and sort of gets them in positions where they're actually going to threaten the team. And West Ham kind of knew that and shut them down and it made Spurs look very disjointed and considering the run of form they're on, considering what they've been doing more recently, you would have expected them to beat West Ham tonight. Yeah, I think, you know, a lot of people were expecting Tottenham to, to cruise through this one just uh, recently. But I, I think you know, you're right in saying that, that Pochettino in the, in the past has struggled to change things up from a tactical perspective um, when teams were able to, to shut Tottenham down, which, you know, to, to be fair about them, they've gotten a lot better about in terms of, you know, their their flexibility on the field, both offensively and defensively. Um, but, you know, uh, like like Chris said, I, I don't think it's the implosion that many people want it to, to paint it to be. I think, um, you know, the, though they were negated you know, this is West Ham securing that they weren't going to get relegated, if I believe. So they had a, a lot to play for as well. And though you could make the case to say that certainly Tottenham want to keep within a, a considerable range of Chelsea in order to challenge them to the last day, the fact that they weren't able to do so doesn't necessarily uh, paint the entire picture of Tottenham. I think um, Pochettino has has continually advanced the side with uh, a number of different uh, managerial practices in terms of how he uses players and how he uses formations and how he uses different systems. And I think that going forward, despite, you know, this is a, a slight setback, if at all, um, you know, the the, the projection for Spurs will continue to be upward. I mean, it it is also sort of assuming that Chelsea are going to bank the points uh, after the weekend. Uh, They, of course, play on Monday night. Uh, But, you know, I think a lot of people are assuming that Conte has gotten that team back on track. Bird in hand, two in the bush. Um, We'll we'll talk more about Chelsea next week after, or sort of post their result. Uh, Disappointing though for Spurs. And it is another time where, Kristen, people are using the phrase bottled some journalists now and maybe people are just sort of journalists are just sort of you know trying to find another angle because they don't want to write the same stories they wrote last season um you know that they spoke about them as bottlers last year and sort of against Chelsea weirdly and now they don't seem to want to frame them in that way because this feels a little bit different I'm not taking a pop shot at Liverpool here. That is a closer, in my opinion, example of a bottle job because you were top and then lost your position. That's not what Spurs are. As I say, I think 
I, I think <laughs> I think the truth on Spurs, as is often the case, sits in the middle of two very uh, far apart poles, which is it wasn't a bottle job, but also they perform better. Now, there's enough in there to take, I think, enjoyment from, from what in theory will come, but also it's more than fair enough, I think, for Daniel Lee and Spurs as a collective to sit down in the summer and say, we have to get better. It's not simply a case of we didn't play well in these games. There are factors that build into this. They did drop £30 million on Musa Sissoko, which we've talked about before, I think was addressing Pochettino's desire for a player that could run in behind without actually factoring in that Musa Sissoko does not run in behind because he's not a very tactically intelligent player. That is one example. Soldado is a, another good example of a big chip player that they bought that I don't think they did the due diligence on. And and that's that's for me where Spurs have to get smarter. Do you also do you also think that yeah, I, like Spurs operating in that second sort of sub market, you know, like you said, not competing monetarily with the likes of the top of the traditional top six in England or or at least the the rest of the top six for players in that market. Don't you think? I mean, that's sort of them taking a gamble on a player that they can actually afford and then maybe not panning out. N- not really. I think that the thing is, if they're going to compete with those clubs, money will be difficult to gauge because the stadium is impacting things. And I've seen very varied reports from they're going to put all their efforts on the youth academy because money will be tight to actually they'll have money to spend. The more you're in that top two, three, four, whatever, the more, the easier it becomes to talk to the players that are going to Chelsea, Manchester United, etc. When I was growing up, for example, Manchester nowhere in this conversation. Now they are one of the big powers in the Premier League. These things can shift, and I think while we need to paint the, the the narrative that this is so Spursy, it's it's really unfair, I think, to to them. As I said, there are key areas they have to improve in. Recruitment is one. Definitely, because I think for them, it, it does seem to really blow in the wind from Deli Ali at five million pounds to Musa Soko at, at 30 million. That's really quite a, a shift from value to horrendous value in, in the same breath. I also think in Europe, they've got to get better as well. I think they've got to start to really push through their academy products in a in a beneficial way that's not just giving them minutes. In the same way, well, here's five, ten minutes here. They need a productive member of the academy to step up. Now, Marcus Edwards but has talked about this, but they need to start with that, I think, as well. Doesn't that go against sort of what they want to achieve in, in the short term, though? Because I think if there's one thing that we've learned about the Premier League in recent seasons is that it's about being the most consistent team in terms of league titles. Cup competitions are a completely different thing. But in terms of league titles, you must must be the consistent, the most consistent team across the of the year or the biggest part of the year. Because I think for two years now, we've seen Tottenham Hotspur become the best team in England at the right competition. I think it's a shame that they weren't in the latter stages of either of, of any of the cup competitions in, in this year or last. But giving giving youth academy players the chances to prove themselves in, in, in Premier League games where it's actually competitive, where it's actually in a part of the season that matters, is... At, you know, a huge risk for a team that wants to try to win a league title because you have to be consistent at the beginning, the middle, and the end in order to try and win the league title. And it's just an extremely difficult thing to do, I think. 
Chris? It, it is. Of course it is. I think, unfortunately, the, the problem they have is they don't have the financial power of, let's say, Manchester United or Chelsea. They're having to a very different way to those clubs, to Manchester City, for example. Now, it's difficult, of course, it's, it's fraught with difficulty. It's about, I think, providing the pathways to the first team. That's the key shift for them. I think if the likes of Mark can be a case study in that, then it starts to move in a positive direction. In case of right, we'll throw them in for a start here. You have to build up the momentum. You have to do it in a considered way. That's where I think Spurs can come into their own. That's where they can start to be a little bit smarter and start to improve. Just from a standpoint, you think from actual on the field, they're doing a really good job. They're taking Kieran Trippier, who was a, a solid fullback for a, a struggling Burnley team, and turned him into a player that doesn't look out of place. In a four side in the top six side however you want to characterize it that ability is will appeal i think to a lot of players if i was a young english english midfielder or whatever right now and i'm presented with the chance to go to any of those top six teams it's very difficult to argue against spurs because they can say look we've taken every Kyle walker to Deli ali even harry kane internally and we've made them better players if you want to earn more money, then by all means, go to those clubs. But if you want to become a better player and achieve things and maybe become like Luka Modric, Gareth Bale, you can potentially do it here with us. But either way, you're going to do it because we'll put you on the right path to do that. It does make it very tricky otherwise. Yeah, and you can also sort of get that status. You know that, yeah, Spurs are Spurs system. You can almost get away with leaving them. Uh, Bale style. Um, there's a lot of other good games this weekend though guys should we talk about those games real quick um, where do we start Saturday why not Saturday sure uh, now in the Premier League um, Man City of course play Crystal Palace there's still a game behind Liverpool this weekend uh, that game in hand Nico at home to Crystal Palace um, you, I mean they need these points don't they very much so I think um the top four is not a foregone conclusion. Uh, Manchester City want to want to finish as high as they can in the table. The the danger here um, is that you know they are. I think Spurs, Liverpool, and Manchester City are are three teams that are very similar in terms of the way they play, um, in, in terms of tactical uh, usages uh, that the managers like to different strategies that they like to employ. And so, in the same way that Crystal Palace were able to directly attack uh, the center backs. Um, at Liverpool and, and sort of get the three points against them. Um, Manchester are susceptible, probably even more so, um, to the same, same thing. So I don't think it's going to be an easy game, but I think uh, given the um, in Gabriel Jesus specifically, I, I think Manchester City will be able to to get the points here pretty pretty well. Um, now, uh, Chris, elsewhere in the Premier League, there are some pretty uh, almost season-defining games. Um, Bournemouth obviously play Stoke. A lot of Bournemouth fans thinking that was a very easy one. Burnley uh, are at home to West Brom. Uh, now, if you, if you look at the Premier League table, then you'll see at the very bottom there that Hull sit precariously ahead of Swansea. While Swansea play Everton at home this weekend, Hull play Sunderland. And this is what makes me think at this point. Sunderland will see themselves as obviously out of the, out of the race to stay up now. So it's sort of proof that the order of games this season 
is going to affect the way the title is. Yeah, it it always does. That's that's why I think predicting a a sort of running or a fixture list at the start of the season is always difficult because on on paper what seems like oh we've got to go to all these places in the last few games of the season could be a lot easier depending on how their their respective campaigns are panned out. In the case of Sunderland against Hull, it's a very difficult one to predict for me because they looked really poor against Bournemouth. They looked really uh, devoid of confidence. Like they were trying to force things. And so the fact that they're down, to, to paraphrase Julian Lescott, it could be a case of, well, now they play without pressure and, and they actually put a performance in and try to play for a bit of pride. On the flip side, they could just dig themselves deeper into that mire and play some really shocking stuff because they're just not a very good football team. I think either way, Silva will prepare them properly because I think he's a very diligent coach. Um, I'm, I'm still impressed with his ability to to deal out Snodgrass and Livermore, two very established Premier League players. That if you're looking at that squad in November, you're seeing those are the two stars alongside maybe Robertson. Um, and then turn around and bring in Renokia, Markovic, Umanias, and make them good Premier League players that have contributed uh, to a number of important uh, draws and, and wins for Hull. Markovic is certainly an interesting one. He's sort of talking, or it sounds as if he's talking, um, quite final terms, saying that Liverpool didn't give him enough chances. Um, but, you know, he might also just be sort of speaking in basic English. I'm trying to work it out right now. Um Elsewhere, obviously, Arsenal play Manchester United. So Arsenal could, Nico, theoretically, still have um, a, an impact on the top four, even if it might seem to some people as if it's a, a step too far for them. Yeah, I think uh, them actually making the top four is definitely out of the question. Although if they do uh, win this game, they'll be within three three points of it. If, if uh, That's for saying the City don't win, of course. They'll be within six points, but you know they'll be two point within two points of United. So, yeah, I, I still think um, I still think if a team were were to fall out of the top four, whether it be Manchester City or Liverpool, um, it wouldn't be Arsenal that that fills that gap. Um, but at the same time, I don't necessarily think that this game is a foregone conclusion in terms of Mourinho. I think um, there are a lot of things that that Wenger has done in the past few weeks that have really gone against the narrative that that people have painted of him as as someone that's archaic and not willing to change his methods. And um, I, I think there are there are things that are definitely exploitable about this Manchester United side, about this Manchester United side without a Ibrahimovic. And I, I, I would struggle to think um, that Mourinho is going to completely just walk away with this one easily with the three points, especially with the Europa League looming later in the week and, and all the issues with the uh, fitness in his squad and sort of injury. So... I, I wouldn't write this one off as purely United, um, and I think Arsenal might might get some might get some uh, positive result here. True, uh, of course, that back three is something apparently that Arsene Wenger has been trialing for a while or training for a while. It's interesting how different managers get seen in different ways. It, I always find it interesting how people people almost uh, the analysis is very unusual. People almost speak about football clubs as if they don't train. Do you know what I mean? As if everyone just sort of turns up on the Saturday and goes, 4-4-2? Yeah, good. Wicked. So you two are up top. We're in a four. We're in a four. And then there's a goalkeeper. Uh, is that all good with everyone? Uh, that's largely what Kevin Keegan's Newcastle used to do. And I'm, I'm not joking here. 
The dude used to really just yeah, play five side and have a kick about. M- Michael Cox was uh, was touching on that on the. Uh, um, on the Guardian podcast, said that uh, in his new book, I think um, he thought there was an entire chapter where he sort of spoke about um, they were pretty much the only Premier League side in, in recent history to literally not have a tactical approach. Like Chris said, you know, it was five aside um, and then a, a little bit of shooting practice and then they went home. So, really interesting stuff from Newcastle there. <laughs> Do you think that Sanchez keeps sort of Keegan's idea of what a player should be? Keegan's quite, he's quite, it was a, it was something quite bohemian about him, isn't there? He's sort of like, oh, uh, yeah, massively. It's, it was a very different era as well, I think. I, I would argue, without wishing to be too revisionist, I would argue it was a less nuanced era of, of football. And I think what he did was he was a very, he was a wonderful speaker. He was, he was a lot like Sir Bobby Robson in, in that regard. And so I think he often supplied the confidence. And was aware enough of what a player's key sort of uh, assets to the team were that he could build a good team. So you had wingers that could cross and you know midfielders that could cover ground. Again, all sounds very basic, but he knew the right combination of players to put on the field, and then trusted them to do what they did best without overcomplicating the process. Yeah, I do find that quite interesting uh and when i say interesting i mean you know it, it did uh, people mock him because he lost out on the title that's not because he was out tacticked do you know what i mean no I, I wouldn't i wouldn't say so i would say again it was partly partly unfortunate i think um at the time i don't know if that squad had the right sort of mentality for, for, for closing out games. Man United had won a few titles. They also had purchased uh, Newcastle's best player at that point. So, again, this is funny. Um, <laughs> yeah, he would later become their best player. But um, even even still, that first season with, with Les Ferdinand and all that kind of stuff, they, they had to do some juggling to get there. I think Man United was definitely the dominant power in I mean, look, history is written by the, the victor, not the not the loser. Although many people would argue that morally, Kevin Keegan is the victor in this one. He's a... Well, yeah, I'll get pelters if I say I don't like Sir Alex Ferguson. So, yeah, no. They're both lovely people. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying that um, Sir Alex was morally bankrupt. It was just more of a flippant comment on modern football. Um, uh, I don't know why I said that. Um... Liverpool, of course, play Southampton on uh, on the weekend. Uh, and has anyone has anyone been keeping up with uh, with what's been going on with Sully Montari? Because Montari has had his ban for walking off over racial abuse taken away. It's been rescinded. Yeah, he. Um, I think he he was receiving uh, racial abuse from certain members of the crowd. A kid uh, during. Yeah, a, a kid uh, during. You know during a, an Italian Serie A match, and then he sort of appealed to the referee to back him up in that situation, and then he was given a yellow card. Yeah. He's had he's since had that yellow card rescinded, and sort of in the process, um, he also gave his jersey to the kid who was racially abusing he him, did. which I think is the important key here, um, is that you approach situations of hate and ignorance with love um, to the best of your ability. But so. also that if, you're, if you are a racist, you will get free shit. <laughs> yeah, essentially. That's that's the message we want to push push across here. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, that you know, it, it's an incredibly serious subject, um, and what what is so important, I think, to to discuss here is that Sue Montari is actually 
shown such love that he'd given the child something. He's not sort of gone over and lectured him. He's actually gone over and made himself into the, the hero of this one. Um, and obviously it's, it's flippant to say he's given him something, but you know, you know what I mean by that? He's, he's tried to share something in common with him. Um, and there's something, I, you know, not to take it too existential, but there is sort of something that goes way beyond what I think most of us are going to read into this. Uh, that Montari's done there and you can sort of see his experience in the game shining through at this point has anyone else watched the footage it's very sort of surreal to watch people trying to calm him down and almost sort of say I mean I don't know Italian but you know it's very unusual to watch the referee he he does I mean what is unusual about it is he he does get very close into everyone's face but you sort of imagine of course you would if, if someone said that to you do you know what I mean have you ever have you ever been I guess Made made fun of or in, in a similar way. Uh, I mean, um, obviously, it, it's very difficult for any white male to speak on. Being I, I, made, yeah, I think in a similar way. The, I, I, the I don't think is... what, what what I'm saying is less less about. I'm, I'm not saying he he's not right to do that. I'm saying is it becomes a very intense situation very quickly, um, and a lot yeah. of people seem to get involved, and then people seem to be getting in each other's face. And I think Soimutaro was completely right in the way he approached the situation. What I found unusual was the intensity with which other people seem to be trying to calm him down um or sort of take away from that um and it it, it was very unusual because it, there, there is only one side that's right on this do you know what i mean the, the thing is italy has a very a very bizarre relationship with race um i think the lack of diversity is an issue <clears throat> excuse me very much so i remember many years ago when balotelli think he was at Inter um, and Juventus fans put a banner out and it was perceived as racist um, although they were taunting him for his race and, and the response was look we'd boo you even if you weren't uh, black was I think the, the phrase they come back with even even when displays have tried to be positive I know Paolo Maldini in the show of solidarity blacked up to, to kind of support their teammates. So it, it's, it is such a bizarre country. I think it shares similarities with Spain in, in that way, if I'm honest. I don't think they look at race, specifically from, from a taunting or a humour standpoint, with the same severity that perhaps other nations do. I think it was, yeah. it was the basketball team, wasn't it? The Spanish basketball team that, that um, pulled their eyes back to, to mimic Asian people ahead of the Beijing Olympics. I remember when Lewis Hamilton raced there, there was people that blacked up and pretended to, to be Lewis Hamilton and in inverted commas. So it's, it's, it, it's a very... It, it's, it, it, you know, I mean, it's, it, it almost sounds a little bit like an Onion News sort of report when you say these kind of things. Yeah, that's, you know what I mean? that's <laughs> the thing. It, I, I don't... But, I mean, the, the Montari thing, there's clearly malice involved there. The problem is, I think, when it comes to addressing these issues... Italy doesn't have a them in the best ways. I think, well, I think attempts are usually misguided and, and things like the Treviso thing are a very good example. And and even just looking at the, the landscape of the national team, there hasn't been a, a significant number or even I would say a really consistent black Italian player involved. And I think because of that, it almost lessens the the perceived severity of the situation because Italians will look at the situation and say, well, I don't see racism. And it's, it's a, yeah, you probably don't because you're probably in a, a largely, if not exclusively white social group. So you don't see racism, but I guarantee to people like Mario Balotelli, to Montari, 
um, to the to his teammate Koulibaly, who who was homeless in Italy for a while. I, I would imagine they see racism a lot more prevalent and and a lot more consistently than you do, and that still makes it an issue. Just because it doesn't happen on your porch doesn't mean that it's not an issue. Yeah, so yeah. The Fox and, News I, and I think um, sense, yeah, and I think a lot of what you're saying is true. I think there's a lot of like you mentioned Spain, but also you know the the um, president of the Italian Football Federation is someone that made uh, really questionable comments about sort of banana eaters in, in the lower division of um, in the Italian leagues and only served a six-month ban and, and still holds his position as president. So I think it's one of those things where uh, also, you know, the, the Italian Football Federation haven't taken steps to properly show I guess I guess show the proper stance in terms of racism and and, and issues of racial abuse as well as you know um, LGBT or, or homosexual abuse. Uh, considering you know they they say that the club will not incur any fines and if it's less than one percent of the crowd, which is like how do you determine that it's less than one percent of the yeah, crowd? Yeah. And also just to speak on what you were saying about the you know the Spanish. Uh, the the how people view certain insults in in Spanish culture. You know, as someone who who comes from that, I think um, Coke earlier this year uh, was fined, I think, for calling Ronaldo, um, you know, a, a homophobic slur. And I think it's something that um, in Spanish culture, it's something that's not viewed on as necessarily. Although it should be changed, and we should make the steps to change that, it's not viewed upon as like. Oh, I'm degrading people, uh, you know, of the LGBT community. It's just something that is consistent with like an insult. It's not trying to disparage gay people, but it's something that like they're brought up with. So it's uh, it's a different perspective, but it's, that doesn't mean it's it's the right one. Yeah, it's a very unusual logic in that sense, isn't it? It's sort of like, uh, yeah, the the ins- in order for the insult to work, you have to have think you have to. Th- you have to you know you there's not enough of an insult in mislabeling someone. Uh, so in order for the insult to work, it has to be that you believe those people to be less than the status of Cristiano Ronaldo. Yeah. Do you definitely. know what I mean? There can't be sort of like yeah. a... Uh, I, it, you well, know, I think it's, it's also something that those, like, those kids... Those people, like when they grow up, like they don't necessarily think about. It. Maybe they don't think about. They think about it subconsciously, and they say like, "Oh, well, this person uses uses it as an insult, and this person uses it uses it in this way." And maybe they don't think that way. And then when they come to and they realize how insensitive they are being, you know, that's a behavior that they correct. It's certainly something that that people I know have gone through, and 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 I think something that we can correct in general. I think it is also something in in the game, which is um, is obviously um, I'm not. What I always find very interesting is I'm not sure we have the right language right now to address these sort of things. Um, and I think, you know, there needs to be ways of speaking about people like, the you know, the referee who dealt with it and, and those sort of people um, without necessarily speaking about it from a, a blame culture or sort of like that someone needs to immediately be punished. I understand that ignorance, you know, that there is sort of a, there's a scale here. Do you, do you know what I mean? As, as offensive as that might sound within the conversation that, you know, if, if, if we see it as part of a culture, then we need to, we almost need to understand where that's coming from and, and less try and stamp it out and more say, well, why did this happen? And that's not to say, well, you know, we need to have understanding towards racists. That's to say we need to understand racism, which are two very different things. Yeah, I, th- I think, I think unless they overtly state malice i think you have to treat everyone like it's ignorance rather than malice which is not to to lessen 
the offence as much as say, okay, well, let's educate you on why this is not the case. I mean, that's... I, I think that's most something... people would make an argument the opposite way, though, wouldn't they, Chris? You have to treat it more like it's malice than ignorance. Otherwise, it makes no, it a very easy th- defence. Well, the thing is, I think the problem with doing it that way is you potentially ostracise people because they feel rejected. And that's not to coddle to them because I think Montari is most definitely a victim in this. But I think you have to say, look, this is why this was a bad thing. This was why... And as... as difficult as it is you see it now sometimes with the previous generation who and i'm going to make some very niche references so i'll be amazed if anyone wants you some of the the likes of charlie williams who used to to tell black jokes on the comedians as a black comedian himself now those are still racist jokes even though it's him saying it and that's, some, some uh, people would that see that as, as very difficult to understand but some people would see that as co-opting of a phrase and sort of owning that conversation. Do you know what I mean? Um, so I, I, I get it. I get what you're saying that it, it does. Um, that's that's why I think just looking at it through the the view of okay, you have to treat every single instance as you were being malicious, you were intending to offend. That that's a, a dangerous line to 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 walk across because you potentially then ostracize people. And I think this is where, to get slightly political, this is why you see these kind of political rises go, because people make genuine mistakes in some instances and are then ostracized because of it, like there's some kind of bad person. You, you can make a racist remark and still be a good person because you didn't know what you were saying, you didn't know the power behind it. Of course, there are also some idiots that do it knowing full well what they're doing. And I think... In the fact that this was a child is perhaps part of that because this person has clearly grown up, this boy has clearly grown up in surroundings where someone has said something and he didn't realise. And that's the problem is that there are a number of people who have likely been in that position, but it's very hard to admit, you know, I said something I really shouldn't have, but I didn't know any better. I was merely copying who was who was around me and, you know, older people who were saying things. It's It's only once you're educated that you understand, OK, I can't do this. I can't say that etc etc and that's the thing that's why i think education has to be central to these kind of things and that's why i really admire the way montari handled it because to me it would have been very easy for him to say this kid's a you know absolute piece of shit for want of a better phrase and and really go in on him but no he said you know i gave him a shirt to try and include him to then break down the barrier of him thinking that uh being black was a bad thing that actually it's it's really no difference at all. I mean, the whole race debate in general is ridiculous because really there is only one race, the human race. It's these differences that seem to aff- offend and upset people and cause them to say these really stupid things. Yeah. It's also it's the, a vicious cycle in, in that sense where, you know, if that kid grows up uh, with thinking that those racial slurs are okay and then he, you know, let's say he uh, racially abuses Sully Montari and, and he doesn't come over and give him the shirt and show him some degree of love and try to break down that barrier uh, and then he goes through life continually saying those racial slurs, you know, the, the, the ordinary people that he comes in contact with on a day-to-day basis, you know, they're not going to react well to that and so they're going to react the people of color are going to react negative to to negatively towards him and then that'll just reaffirm his belief that those people are bad and they're they're evil and this that and the other and then he has that idea and and that sort of belief ingrained in in him for life so i think that's that's an excellent point you make that it's all about you know how people who are in that position how they react you know because i'm certainly not looking to to mitigate the the actions or the behavior i think you have to give people a chance to restore themselves though that's you can certainly castigate the boy and i i think he deserves 
a lot of castigation for that. You also then have to give them the chance to say, okay, well, I've learned from the mistake and, and here I am integrating back in. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I don't think anyone is um, casting him down the river without a paddle. Um, it, yeah, there's a long conversation to be had there, uh, but some very, very, very decent points made early on. So we're joined now by Robbie Dunn, friend of the show and journalist from Ass English out in Spain. Robbie, welcome back to the front three. Absolutely no problem. Thanks for having me. So we are here, of course, to talk about Real Madrid and Atletico Madrid, the two teams facing off in the Champions League earlier in the week in those semi-finals. A resounding 3-0 win for Real Madrid in the end, Robbie. This tie is done and dusted, isn't it? Uh, you'd have to say so, yeah. But having said that, I, I promised myself I'd, I'd never I'd never write anyone off, after, especially after the Barcelona PSG game. <laughs> never make a bold prediction. That's the, that's the lesson I've learned this season. Exactly, yeah. Or, or at least uh, cover yourself in some some way, shape, or form. I went I went two feet in, you know. So yeah, I wouldn't I wouldn't absolutely write them off, but yeah, it does look a Herculean task at the moment. Uh, in terms of that first leg, then uh, obviously, as I said, a three 0 lead. Ronaldo with the hat trick. I mean, uh, as impressive as Ronaldo were, and as efficient really as Real Madrid were, was there a sense that Atletico Madrid capitulated? Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost fifty pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Somewhat made it almost easy for their rivals? Yeah, certainly, yeah. Um, Atletico struggled in the middle part of the season and they got uh, they straightened themselves up in the last few weeks and they kind of went back to what they know best and uh, back to kind of that form of chulismo really defensive uh, slightly maybe some people might consider it a bit boring um but but they were getting results and and they had overtaken Sevilla back to take over number three and um, they were they were actually uh, if 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 Barcelona had lost El Clasico. They were only a couple of points behind them, and might you were, they were even, well. I was talking maybe even about a, a second place finish because Barcelona would have nothing to play for and no Champions League. And but uh, but um, yeah, they went out against uh, Real Madrid and just did collapse. In terms, it, it was yeah. They, there was there's several things that went wrong, and one of them that Simeone was criticised for was looking for that away goal this like I mean he, he, he didn't really need it as much as I think he thought he did but I was when we were watching it here in, in work I, I was saying that 
I don't think he'd be able to live with himself if he went out and he, he went out again to Real Madrid in a big game without if he went down he wasn't swinging you know so um, yeah there was several they, they collapsed uh, the players and I think Simeone kind of I don't want to use the word bottled it but he certainly uh, dove in uh, with with the two substitutions in the in the second half that were quite attacking and he, he kind of went all out and Real Madrid punished him for that I mean, where do you think this result leaves Atletico Madrid now? I mean, almost certainly uh, it's going to be their rivals that get through to the final. Uh, disappointing again for Atletico Madrid that they couldn't go that extra step in order to, to get to the final and potentially finally lift that trophy under Simeone. I mean, is there the sense that Simeone could be considering leaving now, that maybe he's taken this team as far as they can go? Or is he going to stay at least one more season, uh, potentially in that new stadium, because uh, the feeling is that you know everything that's good about Atletico Madrid is tied in very deeply to Simeone. Mm. No, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of question marks, questions to be asked during the summer. Uh, we know after the Champions League final last year, Simeone came out and kind of frightened a lot of Atletico Madrid fans when he said that he needed to take stock, and and and, and he he came out after that and said that he, he, he was so shocked and so hurt by that defeat that he really did need to, to, to assess what was going on. And I think th- this one, it's more just, that one was, does, it was hurt. It was like, oh, look how close we got. This one was more, we're miles away and we always are going to be miles away. He just said in his press conference earlier today that he said, we aren't, we, we can never be, um, he said there's so little time to catch up with the monsters with these monsters of the game that he goes you have to just keep working he goes and and I think I think Simeone along with the likes of Griezmann feel like they deserve something and they just and maybe they have kind of come to the end of the road with Atletico the only thing that will stop them I think is that everything was going swimmingly so I, I would imagine and I, I obviously know information here on this right I'm just saying that um, Simeone would have had to maybe tell Inter or, or whoever it is that he's going to maybe six months in advance that he's going to go which is maybe something that I think he might have told them next for next year so they would be able to get maybe a transfer strategy together if, if he if he called them up the Real Madrid game and said okay listen I'm thinking about going it's it's going to be a little a little bit hasty in terms of the preparation for his arrival he needs to have everything in place in order for him to to um to go there and I think the likes of Inter Milan or PSG have been mentioned they're going to need maybe six months to get together a strategy and a plan for his arrival. So that's the, that's something that I think might keep him at Atletico for another year. Um, but I mean, he's got a he's got a, a massive task now to keep the likes of Griezmann and that. I mean, I mean, Antoine Griezmann isn't the kind of player who complains or gives out or drops his head during games. But against Real Madrid, it was like he almost felt like it was inevitable. There was there was a couple of times Coke, him and Coke have a really good relationship, and uh, both on the field and off it. And I could see him giving out to he, he kind of gave out to Coke and a couple of times and kind of let his uh, teammates know like, oh, that's the wrong ball you're taking. I think he was there was a sense of inevitability for Griezmann and I think he's just absolutely exhausted losing to Cristiano Ronaldo and 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 I think I think he might he might sit he might be sitting there thinking I have to go to one of the big dogs here if I'm going to start winning trophies and I would imagine his 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 uh, ambitions are to win trophies Mm. and I just feel like maybe himself and Simeone feel like they're not going to be able to win those trophies at Atletico Madrid on a yearly basis 
Antoine Griezmann must be sick of the sight of Cristiano Ronaldo, to be honest. I mean, <laughs> yeah, it is interesting you mentioned that. There does seem to be almost a, a mental block for Atletico against Real Madrid in a way. I mean, you talk about Simeone talking about chasing those monsters of the game almost, catching up to the teams like Real Madrid, like Barcelona. Obviously, they're not going to win the title this season. Let's not forget they won it back in 2013-14. But what do you think they need to do next summer in order to move to that other level, potentially to challenge for the title once again and potentially to win the Champions League? Is it to sell someone like Griezmann for, say, £100 million, reinvest that in the squad and make them a stronger proposition? Yeah, like I mean, it's it's um, it's interesting because like w- like um, we we sit there and think that if they sell a if they sell a player for a hundred million, they'll have a hundred million to spend. But that's not the case because they owe money to, to to different places. Dermot Corrigan had a really interesting piece in the Independent recently where he was talking about how uh, a lot of the money that's going to be sold is is or a lot of the money made from transfers needs to be put back into uh, they owe money to a bank in 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 the in South America. And, uh, and and there's different uh, things to consider like that. So, I mean, if they sell Griezmann, they might only be able to... I mean, re- replacing a player like Griezmann is almost impossible, no matter how much money you have. Like we saw with the likes of Gareth Bale at Tottenham, took, it took maybe two or three or four years, and they're finally getting it right now. But there was a lot of players that came and went after with, with that bail money that, that just was kind of wasted. And I think the same would happen with Griezmann. You, you go and you try and appease the fans by buying three or four players. Maybe two or three of them will have to be pushed under the rug. One of them might come good. Um, and you're still left with a hole that, like that uh, of replacing Griezmann they, Lacazette is a player who, who looks like he's going to come to Atletico they have, they've reached a, a verbal agreement with him he's a player that Griezmann apparently wanted to come to the club but that's one of another uh, criticisms of Simeone is that he's never a player maybe Simeone the transfer strategy and the, the powers that be at Atletico they've never replaced Diego Simeone they've got they brought in uh, Mario Mandzukic who didn't work out they brought in Jackson Martinez who didn't work out they brought in Luciano Vieto from Villarreal, didn't work out. They brought in Kevin Gamero, and they didn't. They, he didn't work out. I said on my Twitter account after the game, um, Diego Diego Costa uh, told Atletico to wait. He said, "Wait, wait for me, and I, I want to go back. Wait for me." Atletico didn't wait. They went, and as I said, they shopped hungry, and they say never shop hungry. And what happened was uh, they got Gamero because they kind of rushed it. They panicked brought in Gamero, who, who's a second-tier striker, and I think it was evident on, on uh, Tuesday night that he's not up to this level. He looked nervous on the ball. He looked nervous off it. He, he couldn't get touches inside the, the area. He, he, his movement was uh, he was stagnant. He, he froze, and I think that's a massive thing. Um, so, I mean, if you're going to sell Griezmann, who's their only hope up front, do, you, do we trust Atletico? Do we trust uh, their transfer strategy to bring in the the proper players that that are going to replace them? And I, to be honest with you, I don't think it's it's possible. Mm. What of Real Madrid then? Obviously, Zinedine Zidane masterminding this 3 0 win, uh, looking likely to get to the final, very likely to get to the final, mm. uh, potentially leading his side to the first team to win back to back Champions League. Obviously, the league title is still on as well. They're still the favourites there. There's always been this uh, perception almost that Zidane's almost a lucky manager to have inherited this squad of stars. You know, he's just simply managing their egos, more of a, a man management role. But you know, in this game, was it a tactical victory for Zidane? 
Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, I think it was. He said he was going to try something new against Atletico, and um, I'm not entirely sure if, if 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 he meant sitting back, but he did soak up a lot. Uh, Real Madrid did soak up a lot of Atletico Madrid's pressure. I think I think maybe what Zidane said to his team was he knew that they couldn't hurt. They they were too blunt up front, um, and. And I think that's what that, that's what he was talking about, and it proved to be the case. I mean, Atletico they let Atletico have the ball for quite a long period at the start of the second half, at the end of the first half, and Atletico just never looked like scoring. Like I mean, I don't think I think I don't think Antoine. No, he actually didn't. Antoine Griezmann didn't have a touch in the in Real Madrid's penalty area, which is absolutely it, it boggles the mind. Um, and I think Zidane they they they. Uh, caught them on the counter, and when uh, they were able to sense when Atletico were were on the ropes, and they they went for the kill, and they ended the tie. And uh, yeah, I think I mean I I'm one of uh, Zidane's I won't say biggest critics, but I do think that there's a lack of kind of philosophy there. There's a lack of a direct style, a clear style. Uh, that tends to be the case at Real Madrid, where they just need someone who comes in has the respect of the players which Zan does he's been there he's done that and who just kind of moves the moves the pieces on the chessboard without without uh, kind of starting a new game i suppose he 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 just uh, Man- manages people, manages personalities, and I think Zinedine Zidane has been excellent at that. But in terms of tactics, I was a critic of his. But I mean, he, he's proven now, and I, I've just, I'm sick of being proved wrong by him. So I'm kind of <laughs> starting to, I'm just starting to jump on the bandwagon a little bit because I mean, okay, once, twice, eight, nine, ten times maybe it could be luck. But when you're doing it throughout an entire season. And uh, beating, uh, leading, or, well, they're not actually at the moment, but they have a game in hand. They're favourites to win La Liga now, and they're yeah, they're they've got one foot, one and a half feet inside the in the Champions League final. No, it's not luck. I mean, and he uh, he's managed his squad rotation is excellent. It's almost scientific to to to, to a point where he's he's managing everyone. He's had a couple of injuries, but no, he's he, he he's he's he knows what he's doing, and he and slowly but surely, I think people are starting to come around to that fact. Finally, we have to speak about Cristiano Ronaldo. Obviously, scored the hat-trick that won Real Madrid the game. Uh, 47 career hat-tricks now for Cristiano Ronaldo. It was his uh, 103rd Champions League goal as well to round off that hat-trick. What have you made of his sort of transition almost into a a more central player? I mean, I saw one headline in Spain saying CR7 is dead, long live CR9. You know, uh, obviously this transformation has been coming for a while. Ronaldo's 32 now. He's perhaps lost a a touch of that pace and explosiveness that defined him in an earlier part of his career. But he looks more deadly than ever almost. No, absolutely, yeah, and it's actually kind of, you know, not sad, I suppose, but you can you can see when he does his stepovers and and things, his legs are just that little bit heavier when he goes one on one in a in a kind of a foot race with a defender. You see him being beaten slowly but surely by the even slower players now. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I like if you were to look at all his goals this year, they're all like kind of poachers' goals. Um, and he, I think, I think it actually kind of it's a testament to his ambition uh, that has that has that has worked so well from throughout his career. His 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 ambition to to make it into the box and get that get on the end of the of the cross is if you're just to kind of uh, maybe back in the old Sky Sports player cam just watching his ambition to get into the box and and get those get on the end of those where a more flash player or something like like might be more keen to. 
hang out on the wing maybe or hang out at the edge of the box and get a get a volley or something like that. But like Ronaldo is just he's just um he's just a magnet for for uh, success and he needs it. He 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 needs to score those goals. He he wants it and he's he's just so ambitious that he's actually a perfect number nine because uh, Cristiano Ronaldo doesn't care how he gets the goals. I mean, as long as those records keep falling, which they do, we're we're in work here. Like, and I mean, it's it's almost like okay, what 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 record or what milestone is Ronaldo going to cross? Uh, Break tonight, and and I mean it's just ridiculous. Is is um, uh, while his his overall contributions isn't isn't what it was. His goal scoring is just ridiculous, and he could play as a number nine there for the next three years. And he he still drifts out to the left and right, but that's the kind of style that Real Madrid play with Benzema kind of coming out. And I mean it looks like maybe Morata might be off. Benzema seems to, maybe his. Um, his his uh, his career at Real Madrid might have run its course. He hasn't been playing well. They might try and cash in on him. And I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo would be a perfect number nine there for the next maybe two years before he decides to uh, jet off to the to somewhere else. Well, Robbie, absolute pleasure to have you back on the front free. Where can the listeners? Where can the whole find more of you? Yeah, uh, on Twitter mostly on uh, Robbie J Dunn, and uh, yeah, you'll find out you'll find all my recent stuff there. Messi has also had his four-match ban rescinded um, for swearing at, at, at the official. So uh, for every piece of justice that we see, there's a massive piece of injustice going on somewhere else. Um, well, at least that tax case got him good and proper. <laughs> yeah, good. yeah fair, fair point. Um, uh, elsewhere, David Moyes says he will stay on as manager next season, Kristen. The biggest crime of the lot <laughs> yeah I mean it, it's an unusual one isn't it David I mean the considers himself a manager the, well the, the funny thing is that yeah good like making a fourth second yeah that's part of it isn't it um I, th- I think that's a, a huge problem is that Sunderland financially are well yes long past the the sign advertising the creep they're firmly up it, it it's such a shame because it's it's a football club that I think has potential it's just been run into the Around by really poor decision makers, and and depending how passionately you feel, you could argue people that actually are quite malicious because the <clears throat> excuse me, Sean Margaret Byrne, the chief executive who was in charge during the fifty thousand pound payout when she left. Now, the reason she left was because of the handling of that case. Um, and I believe she quit her position or stepped down. So I don't believe she was entitled to anything. The fact that they gave her that, it does start to look like a little bit of a golden handshake. And I think that's very disappointing. Um, the problem is for someone at the minute, it's 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 very much when it rains, it pours. Just this week, there was, a, I believe, a presentation for school kids at the stadium and two first-team players were supposed to attend. Uh, Brian Oviedo and, and, and Donald Love, they didn't attend. And in their place, Sunderland sent two very unknown academy players still charged the people for the room for the the renting of the room and all that kind of stuff now they're not hugely egregious situations they're just bad karma really it's it you need to be just i think you really need to wipe that club clean if i'm if i'm very frank about it i think there are far too many people that have robbed a living from there um and it it just needs a, a hard reset for me that hard reset can come uh, as close as next season. 
of course, there can be also the opposite way as well. Uh, elsewhere, uh, Everton, uh, Coleman has signed a new five-year contract, fascinatingly. Um, it, it, it is it's very interesting what is going on there right now. Uh, the, the, the statements coming from Coleman is that he wants to, uh, Nico, uh, be the Barcelona manager, but at the same time, more interestingly, he wants to take Everton into the top four. Which one of those is more realistic? Um, neither of them. Brilliant. If that's a possibility. Good to have you. <laughs> um, I, I don't. Uh, if, if I'm if I'm hard pressed to say, I think uh, a, a sooner he he's sooner employed as the Barcelona coach than he is getting Everton into the top four because I, I just think um, Everton are in one of those positions where they're possibly gonna going to be at least for the foreseeable future you know forever unhappy they're not um, I guess wealthy enough or well off enough or don't have the resources to break into that top six um, and make a, a consistent and decent chi- title challenge but they're not um, I guess bad enough or or small enough to or I guess any club is is big enough to fall, but um, I don't see them falling towards the the relegation side anytime soon. So it, it's sort of mid table uh, mediocrity that I think they're, they're destined for realistically. Interesting stuff. Uh, now, uh, if you want to go and see a review of the Champions League stuff, uh, then you can go over to the YouTube channel. Uh, some pretty fascinating stuff there from uh, Nico analysis of the movement of a number of players and also uh, where where the key battles were fought initially and his predictions for the second leg. Of course, we're going to preview the Champions League early next week uh, with the entire team here. Um, Chris, of the two ties, which one did you enjoy more? Uh, Good question. Probably Juventus. Juventus. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, I I think it it was just kind of fun to watch Mbappe and, and Co against Keely. It was it was like it was a little bit like Joshua Klitschko, you know what I mean? Yeah. This this young kind of vibrant um, potential king of the 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 scene against uh, a wily veteran that, that has experience and I think that was that was quite fun to watch. Yeah, it certainly was interesting. I mean Nico, it was also really great to see a veteran, uh, Danny Alves, uh, having such an influence. Yeah, it really was the way that he he came across sort of that that right flank and was able to deliver so such quality at such an old age is something that I think um, <laughs> uh, proves Dave's right to a certain extent. Considering he said that that uh, fullbacks come into their come to their very best at the tender age of thirty three years old, um, but also sort of his ability to switch positions with Paulo Dybala was something that I think was extremely impressive. And then also Allegri's um, Allegri's flex- flexibility in sort of playing Barzagli, someone that hasn't featured much since Antonio Conte left, and they sort of switched away from this four two three one at times and and preferred Chiellini and Bonucci over Barzagli, um, playing him in sort of a right central defender and also right back role uh, in such a flexible way to cover the um <clears throat> excuse me the um attacking tendencies of of Danny Elvis was was pretty impressive so you know as usual a really impressive performance from from Juventus and I'm really excited to see the second leg although people are billing it as that it's already over I think Juventus will get through to the final but you know it's going to be fun to watch I think people are billing both and now they're looking to build a final aren't they as a uh, Real Madrid versus or sorry, Juventus versus Real Madrid, because if Juventus come through, they will be the home team in the final, as was drawn not so long ago. Um, Of course, Juventus, very dominant in Italy, and uh, 
uh, a bit further down, sadly, maybe, for uh, Francesco Totti and Roma. Uh, Francesco Totti has confirmed he'll retire at the end of the season, Chris. Which most of us expected anyway, but it, it's still not nice to hear. Has to end eventually. Can't last forever. Um, it's been, the, the announcement was a bit bizarre, though, the fact that Monchi just kind of dropped it in there. Um, I, I I couldn't see a, a U-turn from him anyway. I know he's done this before, but a little bit James Brown-esque. I, I think if you look at this season, he's not been as influential um, as, as previous seasons, and, and the time is right. And the fact that he's got a nice transition into a di- director's role keeps him around the club, keeps him as an important part of it. Um, but now we are we are getting older with uh, with with more of these players from from our youth retiring. Yeah, uh, some of them were fantastic. On um, apparently he's the only player uh, to have appeared on every FIFA. Yeah, boot boot is what I. Tweets on this week as well that when he, that when Kylian Mbappe was born the same day, Buffon was beating Empoli with Palmer 5 3. Ooh, Chris, your research goes deep. Um, let's let's finish this podcast uh, on a on a sad note. Uh, Diego Costa could be leaving us. Chris Conte has sort of played it down. He said Costa's still focused, but earlier on in the week there was this rumor uh, which went on to be sort of become a bit more than a rumour that Costa could be on his way to China. Ch- China. Um, what's what was go- it's, it's Donald Trump. China. Oh, um, what, what do you think the deal is there? And why would they uh, announce it at such a time? Um, well, I don't think they have announced it per se. I think... Costa's had a very difficult relationship with with Chelsea. It, it to me reminds me a lot of Carlos Tevez with every single club that he's been at. That no sooner has he put his suitcase down, he's almost itching for a move. He's never really settled um, in Chelsea, and the fact that he pushed so hard for a move back to Atletico and they didn't reciprocate, I think, really annoyed him. And I wouldn't be surprised if it perhaps changed perhaps changed his perspective on things a little bit to the point where now he's thinking, you know what, I could make an obscene amount of money in China for a few years rather than, okay, you know, the the competition is there, the sporting integrity is there, I want to win the Champions League, I want to do all these things. You know, now just go and make money. And I think the the fact that he has kind of an itching to leave Chelsea, he's, he's won the Premier League, it looks like he's going to do it again the motivation maybe just isn't there for him. So the the thought is, well, I can go to China now and, and gain financial security. And I just think that if you look at his time at Chelsea, he's never been backward in coming forward. And that never has, has been more applicable than when it comes to him discussing his future, because I was quite surprised to see him even admit that he pushed so hard for, for Atletico and not sort of caveating that with, but I'm glad now that I didn't. It's always been I pushed really hard and they didn't reciprocate, so it, it didn't happen. Yeah, good point. Um, now, uh, where, where do you want to finish this one, guys? Surely. Sorry, what, Chris? I said we actually had a question about Ajax from a listener. Sure, we'll go answer that question. Uh, uh, it was from Adnan1610. Uh, um, they seem to be building a young, exciting team, Ajax. Could we see a Another Monaco-style team. It's a very good question because Monaco 
are a great example and the shift from them buying Alexa Falcao Moutinho to Thomas Lamar, Bakayoko, etc. has been fun to watch. I the same as Monaco in the same high regard as Ligue 1 at this minute. I think it's seen you've got the top five leagues in Europe that, that we often discuss. I think the Eredivisie is just below that unfortunately. So they're always going to be able to get the likes of Kasper Dolberg <clears throat> Hakim Zayesh, who's, who's domestic, obviously. Even Armin Yunus, who was was very much skirting under the radar. Even Davinson Sanchez and, and Neres from, from South America are very good prospects. But they've had to be a little bit cannier than their rivals to get those players. And for that reason, I'd be very surprised if they were able to do a Monaco. I think the Europa League, yep, they'll be able to challenge consistently perform in that and maybe even win it if, if things go right for them. They certainly dismantled Leon with with uh, ease in that first leg. That next step up, I'm just not convinced if, I, if I'm honest. Not at this stage. I think the talent would need to, to improve a little bit. But they've always been fairly decent in the group stages. I remember them handing City a pretty embarrassing, I think it was a defeat, um, pretty embarrassing draw, uh, a pretty bad result years ago with CMD on. They were, they were impressive at least I remember. Which is the most impressive young side in, in Europe right now? Um, you, you'd have to say Monaco I think. You, you'd have to say them or, or possibly Dortmund because they have, have been able to elevate the level of players and challenge at the top not easy to do because there's a thing with often very high because they've never experienced it so they don't have any preconception or nerves but that can also things difficult when it becomes unpredictable because they don't know how to respond and they also can't draw on experience so I, I think Monaco partly because you look at that side now the starting 11 you'd be hard pressed to get one of their players for maybe less than, than 15 million as it stands um, and going that, then you look at Mbappe right at the other end, who looks like breaking that hundred million euro mark. Yeah, good point. Very, very good point. Um, Nico, best youth for you in Europe right now? Best, uh, best young team was the question. Sorry, you cut yeah, off. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Best young team. Yeah. Uh, I'm partial to Dortmund. Uh, they play a very similar possession style to Guardiola, and I think they are going to do a lot of special things with the likes of Emery Moore um, and Usman Dembele, uh, as well as hopefully, hopefully, Christian Pulisic. Um, so yeah, I'm partial to Dortmund, and I think um, they're going to do a lot of special things in the years to come if they all stay together. Very good point. Um yeah, uh, let us know who your favourite uh, youth is in Europe. Um, we want to know because we might we might put a youth team together come the end of the season. There's plenty of uh, exciting YouTube uh, ideas to come come the end of the season. Um, hopefully, very very soon, um, we will have a lot more to come on the channel. Anyway, uh, you can see a Conte uh, video over the weekend, um, and of course, you can head to the channel now and you can look at what. Um, yeah, it was just Nico. I was going to say uh, Nico and I did, but it was just Nico. Uh, I'm going to sign off now, though, from the podcast. Uh, thank you very much, Joe, for joining us. Uh, Chris, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me.
Ah, Nico, what about you? It's been good. It's been good despite the uh, despite the intro. It's been good. <laughs> Nico, thank you very much. Uh, I'm I'm gonna see you all again soon on the front three. Uh, join us on Monday night uh, when we can talk. Hey, all sorts of things. Maybe Chelsea won the title by then. We'll see you again real soon right here on TF3. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.